Baltimoreans is a member of the Baltimore Sports Report Network. Find, find more podcasts like this at baltimoresportsreport.com. Baltimoreans. Hello, Baltimoreans. How are y'all doing? I hope that you are having an excellent January and that dreams of pitchers and catchers are beginning to foment in your happy little minds. <laughs> I think foment is is an appropriately agitated verb. Yeah. Alan yeah. Smith. It's fomenting up in this piece. Because the natives are restless. Because percolate is kind of nice. Percolate yeah. is like, oh, we're right, making right, coffee. Right. Exactly. We're waking up slowly. Right. Foment like you usually foment a controversy. Or a revolution. <laughs> <laughs> well, we need a revolution. We need one, but we're gonna talk about that later. That's true. That's true. The facts are these, Sam. When you add up the total number of accumulated gifts in the well-known song, The Twelve Days of Christmas, you are left with a total of 78 items which were purchased by the unknown True Love and then delivered on the twelfth and final day of the Christmas holiday. But that means that over the 12 days, the True Love has delivered 364 gifts in total uh, one fewer than the number of days in the year, which is a kind of an interesting number. Um... Also, it should be noted that there are actually 376 gifts if you count the pear tree and the partridge as separate entities, um, which you probably should. I I always have. Do others not? Also, relevantly, of the 364 items delivered, 184 of them are birds. That's true. (laughs) Or contain birds in some way in the partridge and pear tree situation. It's a very avian song. Verily, this is Birdland. But here's the thing. You have to have a lot of scratch to pull the sorts of wooing envisioned in the 12 days of Christmas. That sort of moolah that allows you to plunk down cold, hard currency for the repeated purchasing of not only birds, but also human beings trained to do things like drum or leap. Oh, yeah. That's... How much is a lordship these days? <laughs> and then once you acquire one, how much do you then have to go on the black market for purchasing as a slave? And how much how much extra do you have to pay for leaping ability? I know that's it's 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 got to be a very small market, right? Speaking of very small markets, <laughs> we know that seventy eight is also a relevant number in the question of how much are people worth because seventy eight million pounds is the second largest amount of money ever paid for the services of a single human being. The, I'm sorry, you said the second largest? Yes. <laughs> this amount was paid for the rights to then pay someone named Gareth Bale by the Real Madrid soccer team. <laughs> they purchased Gareth Bale's body for the use of winning soccer matches, but they paid $78 million for the rights to then sign him to a contract. Similar to the transfer fee. The posting fees with the Nippon Professional Baseball. Exactly. Only six times larger. Yes. Blah, 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 you will say. Many American athletes make $123 million over the course of their contracts. But the £78 million was paid from one team to the other team, and that does not count what they're paying bail. So, if it's paid in a one-off transfer, which they did, they just wired £78 million, boom, like that, done. Click of a mouse. I think this means that this was the second most expensive purchase of the rights to own a person of all time. The most being 
Cristiano Ronaldo, also purchased by Real Madrid for eighty million pounds. Oh my God! But um, that may not necessarily be true when one adjusts for inflation, because when you think of the slave trade over time and the amount of gold oh, that is probably oh, tra- exchanged hands, oh. we don't actually know, you know, in in real dollars whether whether where this ends up. Can I just say, Alan, that's the saddest thing <laughs> I've ever heard. That's so upsetting. <laughs> anyway. Real Madrid clearly has the cold, hard cash to pay for every single one of the gifts of the 12 days of Christmas. But <laughs> in this world where love and Xmas spirit seem defined by how much money one has and how many gifts one can give, how can the rest of us as, rear, as you know, average, everyday folks hope to compete in the world of romance? How do we, to make this metaphor painfully clear, the Orioles of the world, stuck combating the Yankees and the Red Sox of the world— hope to play the role of the quote-unquote true love? The answer appears to be that we can't, and instead we are stuck buying a dumb and fucking young and hoping that it wins over our fans' affection for the offseason, so which far, is maybe even sadder than what you just said. The, but! <laughs> I think you're just hitting me with a sadness barrage, and I'm confused. I have a final sadness point oh, to, really, to really dot the I and, and, and cross the T here. It's not the exact day, but 64 years ago this week, in 1950, George Orwell passed away after struggling to finish his epic dystopic story, 1984, while also suffering from tuberculosis. He did finish the book, 1984, uh, and probably now wishes he hadn't, because they just announced today that a film adaptation of 1984 starring the actress Christine Stewart is set to be released in this calendar year, or at least it's begun filming. The film, called Equals, is a love story, but it also attempts to be a retelling of 1984. And I just, I'm so angry about this that I, I really, I'm having trouble being articulate. And it, um, as, as anyone who listens to this show knows, I, I am a strong, strong proponent of George Orwell. I have his writings tattooed on my body. But... There was one thing specifically in reading about this that really sort of put me over the top. And that was a quote from the lead actress, Christine Stewart, who wrote or said to a uh, Us Weekly interviewer, I'm terrified of it. Though it's a movie with a really basic concept. I'm going to let that sit for a second. Yeah, I, I really won't say anything. Really basic concept. It's overtly ambitious. It's a love story of epic, epic epic proportion she then added i'm scared i'm also scared because if the lead actress is treating a story based on 1984 as though it were a love story of epic 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 proportions she's clearly never read the book (laughs) there is a point in this book when the main character to avoid the thing that he fears most in this world which happens to be a large rat chewing off his face avoids said rat chewing off his face by deeply and spiritually and from the bottom of his heart selling out the person that he professed previously to love and in so doing crushing his own spirit and succumbing entirely to the despotic forces of big government and big brother now if the movie equals ends with the love story being crushed because Kristen Stewart doesn't want to have her face chewed off with rats, by rats, 
I guess I'm okay with it. But in any other situation, there's no way this is not going to be even sadder than Alex Rodriguez and Delman Young. <laughs> I think that the key for me was when the U.S. Uh, Us Weekly article referenced that the Equals was a takeoff of the um, 1956 movie, 1984. <laughs> <laughs> the less said about that, the better. <laughs> Not the book, but the film adaptation. <laughs> is it, can we just, can we settle another score here? <laughs> sure. Is it Us Weekly or U.S. Weekly? That's a good question. I've always said Us Weekly. If, it, if, if that's Us, I, I don't want to be a part of that Us. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, we got a fantastic show on tap for you today. Um, coming up on the show, well, first we should say, uh, if it has not been clear from from what has preceded this this moment on the show we are proud members of the baltimore sports report network <laughs> whether they are proud of us remains an ongoing question <laughs> we're we're proud to be a part of that network with our many sister wife podcasts all of which you can check out by going to baltimoresportsreport.com slash network and if you want to just marry us orally you can go to be morons.com <laughs> or leave us a review um and or marriage proposal on iTunes. They can be one in the same. Sure. They can be one in the sure. same. If it's a marriage proposal and you give us less than five stars, we're going to say no. <laughs> that's how that's going to go. But otherwise, we'll think about it and we'll, get back to you. We'll think it over. <laughs> um, coming up on the show today, uh, we're, of course, going to bring you our most popular recurring segment, the Ed Barnowski Franchise Report. Uh, that is, of course, named after Mr. Ed Barnowski, who threw seven and one-third memorable innings for the Orioles uh, between the years of 1965 and 1966, and never again appeared in another major league game. Um, we have some we have some issues about uh, the state of play in Birdland and beyond that we'd like to discuss with you. We have an interview with uh, Ben Maston, inveterate Yankee lover, coming up after that, and then. To round things out, we've got we've got uh, a a segment which I think is is rapidly nipping at the heels of the Ed Barnowski franchise report in popularity, which is our seventh inning sketch segment. Uh, and this week we're going to be bringing you a sketch from guest writer Nick Markovich. All of that is coming up when our program continues. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. And welcome to the uh, the reoccurring segment, the Ed Barnowski Franchise Report, where Sam and I delve into uh, very important issues around the state of the franchise and Birdland in general. Um, as Sam mentioned, Ed Barnowski, uh, well-renowned Oriole, we think carrying on his legacy in this way is very appropriate. Yes. The segment that we are about to jump into, uh, we will rank... The important issues of the day, um, and we will rank them through the tried and true baseball um, analogy in which a home run is, of course, the greatest thing that has ever happened. Yes, whereas a strikeout is something that is on net bad for baseball and indeed America. <laughs> Our first news Order item of business <laughs> on the Ed Barnowski franchise report, ladies and gentlemen. 
Uh, the first thing we'll be ranking is my outrage at Manny Machado taking a picture with A-Rod at a Jay-Z concert. Now, to give you some probably much-needed context, <laughs> uh, because not too many of you are following us on Twitter, uh, I can say that... Um, empirically because there's a number value associated with it if you'd like to follow you follow us on twitter you can do so at be morons is the handle here's what happened i'm sitting on twitter the other day and i see a tweet retweeted by somebody else because i don't follow a rod but a rod had apparently tweeted a picture of him and manny machado along with mr yonder alonzo hanging out at a jay-z concert my mind instantly went into outrage mode uh, I thought it was horrendous that Manny Machado would allow himself to uh, socialize with Alex Rodriguez. I thought that this was indicative of great tragedy in the very near future for the Orioles, that Alex Rodriguez has had an influence on our finest young player. And I put up two very angry tweets about it. I later discovered that it, the situation was not as bad as it had seemed. Oh. Manny Machado was not at the concert with Alex Rodriguez. He was there with Yonder Alonso, who happens to be his brother-in-law. Okay. Or brother-in-law-to-be. And they saw A-Rod there. A-Rod came over and say, said hello. They took a picture. A-Rod tweeted it, but it's not like... They went together. They went they together. They were hanging out. It's not like they were broing out. Okay. They just said hello. Now, I am giving... My outrage at Manny Machado taking a picture with Alex Rodriguez at a Jay-Z concert, a swinging strikeout ah, ranking. Okay. And I'm going to tell you why. Okay. Because I did what everybody does these days when they see a picture on Twitter. Uh-huh. They assume that by looking at that picture, they know the entire story of everything ah. that could possibly have happened to lead up to that picture. And they don't. And the entire <laughs> internet turns in to independent detectives and writes a narrative about something that ends up being completely untrue. And while the Manny Machado A-Rod at a Jay-Z concert incident is by far the most important one of these, <laughs> we should also point out that it took place at Nelson Mandela's funeral. <laughs> When a one-off shot of Barack Obama taking a picture uh, uh, of him with some other world leaders and his wife looking annoyed became the story of Nelson Mandela's <laughs> funeral, you morons. There, that is not the takeaway from that story. Um, and it also happened with the Boston Marathon bombings uh -huh. where people uh, uh -huh. found a whole bunch of pictures that made it seem like uh, the... The somebody on a roof was involved in fact and that person was hunted then by the police and vilified by the entire internet it turned out they had nothing to do with it this is what we do as okay. a society now and i did that to manny machado i'm going to give you a roped double you are yes <laughs> because because it seems to me that your uh that, that this was not taken entirely out of context we know that there has been a dalliance between Alex Rodriguez and our boy, and we know that they have trained together, and we know that Alex Rodriguez is, empirically speaking, the worst human being on Earth. More to come on that a little bit later in the show. <laughs> and I think that it is perfectly reasonable for you to be defensive of the most important player 
at, who is currently wearing the black and orange and who appears to be the most important player we're going to have for the next 15 to 20 years. If he goes down the A-Rod path and he becomes a steroid-abusing, egomaniacal fuck, then there will be no reason for me to watch baseball ever again. And this will be the moment <laughs> when we knew. Exactly. I think it is a defensive swing that turns out to be a very good and important double. Okay. Probably scoring a run. Well, think, uh, speaking of things that seem negative at first but may end up being positive, let's move to our second news item, Alan Smith. Mm, the the, the Delman Young signing. The next thing that we are ranking here on the Ed Barnowski franchise report. Well, I've already sort of outed myself by the intro. In you, which you did say I, some very strong things. <laughs> I compared signing Delman Young to a series of atrocities. <laughs> Yep, you did that. Alan <laughs> I, Smith did that, not Sam Dingman. I I really don't like this signing. I think that it could be. So what I'm going to give it is I'm going to give it a uh, a, a warning track out. Okay. Um, it seems to me that signing a character like Delman Young is a okay f- and even fine thing to do if you are trying to build roster depth. He's the kind of person who you bring in, you kick the tires on. If he says something particularly racist or can't hit lefties anymore, then you send him along the way. But we're bringing him in as our starting fucking left fielder right now, and he's all we have. So he has the capacity, I think, to be a uh, uh, an also-ran. And if we had a little more power behind him, as in someone who could actually play a everyday left fielder and have Delman Young as a sub, then I'd be more okay with it. But instead, I feel like it is a warning track power sort of a signing. Okay. Um, I am going to give it a seeing eye single. Okay. The the thing I do like about it is that I'm hopeful that it's indicative of the front office embracing the idea that you can... The way to capitalize on the gutter snipe players that we seem to be fixated on signing is to platoon them in very intelligent ways. And if we're bringing in Delman Young to be the new Danny Valencia and bat exclusively against left-handed pitching then and serve as a DH, then I think that we stand a chance of getting some very good value out of the signing. His career slash line against left-handed hitters is excellent. There's no way around that. Um, but he's a horrible, horrible outfielder. <laughs> and he can't hit right-handed pitching. And he kind of may be a horrible person. Well, there is such a thing in Major League Baseball player contracts as a morals clause. It's what we used to void the contract of Sidney Ponzone after he uh, was involved in a DUI many years ago. Uh-huh. And to me, a DUI is terrible. Sidney Ponzone could have killed somebody. But screaming anti-Semitic <laughs> epithets at people on the streets of New York is real bad. <laughs> That's a terrible thing to do. And Delman Young did that. And sure did. every single time that we watch him stride to the plate in an Orioles uniform, we need to remember before we cheer for him that he's a terrible racist. To be fair, though, you and I both have spent a good portion of our adult lives rooting for Luke Scott. So... We have that on our conscience. <laughs> but it, it's kind of cute when Luke Scott does it. Because it, the, the thing it, about Luke Scott, it, it's, it? it's not racial 
with Luke Scott. No, that's true. It's just crazy. It's just it's just stupid. And stupid people are funny. <laughs> All right. Let's get to our conversation with Ben Maston right now on Baltimoreans. Ben? Hello. Ben, Hello. Please, yes. please yes, say can, that you can hear we, this. We can hear you. I can hear you now. Great. Great. So everything's pretty good then, I'd say. <laughs> Still a little robot coming from you, but that's okay. Well, you're, I, is, it, is it to the point that you can't understand what we're saying? Because on this end, it sounds like fucking professional radio. <laughs> no. Uh, over here, it basically sounds like a club DJ turned up the distortion on you guys to make you sound alterna. Sam, you could just turn down the distortion on us so we didn't sound so alternate. <laughs> no, yeah, could you? Why, what's the matter with you? Why didn't you do that? I, I'd prefer to leave the, the distortion pedal on. What I've done is I've connected the <laughs> mixer to a distortion pedal. Yeah. Um, have you ever been to see a stomp rock show? <laughs> I, I don't think I have. I think I'd probably know. Well, you're about to have the equivalent of a stomp rock show experience by virtue of being interviewed on the program. Okay. I'm used to that. And and if the last few episodes are any good, you're already recording. <laughs> Says who? No, no, no. I'm starting now. Ben Mastin joins us, ladies and gentlemen. And uh, he he thinks that uh, we've just started recording. But really, we've <laughs> no, been recording. <laughs> Benjamin, how are you doing? I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. Yeah? Uh, I'm, I'm living the life over here. You're living the life, huh? Yeah. Well, well, well. That's that's good to hear. I'm glad that you are in a, a positive emotional space because it's been a rough week to be a Yankee fan. Well, it yes, it's been a rough off season actually. If you're an intelligent Yankee fan, can I just say something? No, it hasn't. Shut your face. <laughs> because Here's, can I tell you this? Can I tell you this? In it, in a couple of years, it's going to look as though this was a very rough off season indeed. That's true. That's true. We should back up. Can we back up? I feel like we've escalated very quickly. <laughs> we really did, didn't we? It really did. What's the line from Anchorman? <laughs> the, I believe the line is, well, that ex- escalated quickly. Brick had a trident. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I killed a guy. Then <laughs> uh, uh, I've decided we're going to credit you as uh, our friend Ben Mastin, inveterate Yankee lover. Is that fair? I mean, inveterate wouldn't be the word I use, but it, I, I'm pretty consistent, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're going to use the word inveterate uh, yeah. because it makes us feel better. Um, Benjamin, uh, your favorite baseball player, Alex Rodriguez, <laughs> was suspended this week after much brouhaha. So, uh, first of all... <laughs> Just lest anybody out there in Baltimore on land think that that's a true statement about my opinion of Alex Rodriguez. I hate him so much. <laughs> uh, the, the denial, the, the hard denial makes it seem like uh, there's some truth Methinks to what I said. Methinks thou dost protest too much. Indeed. So, uh, two of ben, you are 162 well game suspension, which he bargained down from, I believe the original number was 211. It was reduced by 49. Fair or unfair? How do you feel about that total total suspension level? Let me, well, first of all, I, I would like a suspension that requires him to be shot into space and never heard from again. So that you could be intergalactic lovers because he's your favorite person? 
<laughs> no, that's definitely not it. I would like him to be put in a rocket aimed directly at the heart of the sun. And, <laughs> and from which he would never return. So, but here's the thing. Let me... I, Alan was talking about the Hunger Games some on your most recent episode, I believe. Indeed he was, much to the mystification of many of our listeners. <laughs> but since you brought that up, let me, here's, here's my whole take on the Alex Rodriguez experience. Okay. All right, so let's, let's use another similar post-apocalyptic sort of dystopian comparison uh, here. Indeed, let's. I've been playing a video game called The Last of Us. <laughs> okay. Okay, in which uh, a horrible, fungal, mind-altering disease turns unsuspecting normal people into raving, aggressive monsters that lash out at all those around them, even those whom they once called friends. Okay, keep going, keep going. Meanwhile, meanwhile, the uninfected humans, safe in their secure little enclaves, but controlled by massive, massive, vast, unsympathetic governmental uh, overlords. Mm -hmm. In this case, let's let's draw a direct line to Bud Selig. Okay, let's do that. <laughs> Who are themselves as inhuman as the creatures they pretend to defend us from? Mm. Yeah. They stamp out the love and respect of the ordinary people whom they are supposed to be protecting. So what you're saying, if I'm hearing you correctly, is that nobody wins. Yes. So, I mean, I think at this point it is fair to ask, in a in a meta perspective, yes. who has been worse for baseball, Alex Rodriguez or Barry Bonds? Oh, that's they're battling to a draw, I think. Yeah. I think I think that that's a fair point. I think that the difference, though, is that the um, the, the the level to which uh, Alex Rodriguez continues to hang around. Yeah, and I don't I don't think you quite had Barry Bonds. You know, uh, 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 w once once all of this stuff really became to the fore, he sort of disappeared. And yes, he, that, he sort of kept his enormous head down. Exactly. <laughs> Whereas Alex Rodriguez seems to still think he's about to come back and be a productive member of a professional baseball team. I just, I, yeah, he's, he just seems more and more delusional, doesn't he? I mean, I was talking on the phone, on the real phone with good audio. <laughs> I will neither confirm nor deny that we speak when it's not on this show, but please continue. <laughs> Probably safe. Uh so, but we, we were saying, because it was the day that, I guess it was on Monday, so A-Rod had filed his suit both against the league and, somewhat more surprisingly, against the Players Association. <laughs> Suing everybody up in here. <laughs> well, and the, thing, and the thing about this is, you know, I had actually managed to completely miss the entire 60 Minutes nonsense, but, right. you know, not 12 or 24 hours before that, they were defending him on that score. Mm -hmm. And and now he's thrown them under the bus as well for insufficiently protecting him from Bud Selig. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what? Who the fuck does he think is going to rush to his aid here? <laughs> well, I I think what we're seeing what we're seeing is somebody who you know sometimes people burn bridges, um, 
I, and sometimes they nuke them from orbit. <laughs> well, sometimes I think people burn bridges while they're standing in the middle of the bridge and then set themselves on fire as they plunge to their death. If sometimes only he would. Do traffic studies on bridges. Yes. <laughs> if you really want to bring in the tri-state... Uh... <laughs> Oh my god, I it's, it's been a bad it's been a bad week for the tri-state area, guys. I'm not going to lie to you. <laughs> but we digress a little bit. Uh, so, so what you're saying is that you think that the damage to baseball nets out at even uh, when we compare the legacies of Alex Rodriguez and Barry Bonds. Uh, why is that? I mean, do you think? Do well, you think... Alex isn't done yet. That's part of it. <laughs> sure, sure, that's true. But give him time. He might top himself. I guess I think. <laughs> oh boy. I think yeah. that that Barry Bonds set the horrible gutter level standard, um, and like most things, Arod was like, "I bet I can do better." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's right yes, um, because I mean, also, they're both assholes, but Arod is a turbo asshole. <laughs> but also, using steroids, Barry Bonds turned in the two best on base percentage seasons in Major League Baseball history. Right, and and, and Arod did not do that. Right. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, but A-Rod seems bound and determined to take his already terrible legacy and rub it in as many people's faces as possible. (laughs) Right. Well, here's the thing about this, right? A-Rod ultimately, I mean, I don't want to wait until 2017 or whatever it is for his contract to be up, but ultimately, aside from whatever clubhouse damage he may do if the Yankees don't just cut him outright, you know... A-Rod's primary damage is to himself. Yeah. You know, I mean, in in a way, you know, in a way, it's almost like, you know what, Barry Bonds, you were a horrible person, but at least now we know there's a problem. And with Alex, it's like, yes, A-Rod, we know. Steroids are awful, and we know that from watching you be a dickwad. <laughs> <laughs> they seem to have had the same effect upon your ego that they had upon your statistics. <laughs> <laughs> I think his I think his ego is the only naturally occurring part. So. <laughs> That's fair, yeah. Uh, so maybe a fairer comparison would be Jose Canseco. Uh, maybe. maybe. Who is also a shit-nuts lunatic. <laughs> yeah. I guess how's, the, how's the Delman Young era going so far, by the way? We're not talking about the Delman Young era. We're, <laughs> we're still getting over... We're still, let's not. We're still getting over what Alan uh, aptly termed the Jamile Weeks thing. <laughs> Oh, boy. Well, at least he's not an anti-Semite as far as we know. <laughs> someone uh, on, on someone recently compared to me saying that um, that Dan Duquette is a brilliant reclaimer of, um, of, of projects and that signing Delman Young is basically the equivalent of signing Nate McClough. Um, uh, you better hope so. <laughs> well, I mean, that's just objectively not true. I mean, because <laughs> if you're either a donut or a Jew, it's much, much more dangerous <laughs> if you have Delvin Young on your team. Well, that's a pull quote right there. That is <laughs> the title of this episode: Donuts and Jews. The donuts or Jews? Donuts or Jews? Donuts or Jews? I'm half of one of those. Uh, <laughs> and you're a New Yorker, so you're half of half. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> Well, uh, we we right. thank you as always for your your customary in, in, insights, Benjamin, uh, and we encourage people to investigate Ben Maston um, as just, a. Just, just Google me. <laughs> just go poking around, see what you find. Did you did you hear me trailing off as I tried to figure out what to plug? <laughs> yeah, I don't really. I mean, come on. <laughs> you know what? If you if you're that intrigued, then come find me. <laughs> I'll I'll tell you what, Ben Maston, great guy to have a taco with next time you're in Austin, Texas. Can I say that? Is that okay to say? Yeah. 
I heard the you know, but what in fairness, what I heard you say was Ben Mastin taco riff. That's what I said. <laughs> That's what I said. Did you think I said that Ben Mastin's a great guy to have a taco with next time you're in Austin, Texas? Because that's not true. It would be better to eat by yourself <laughs> than to spend time with this inveterate Yankee fan. Thank you very much, Ben Mastin. All right. You're listening to Baltimore, the home of the all-weather fan. This is Alan Smith. And this is Sam Dingman. And ladies and gentlemen, we are very excited to bring you our patented seventh-inning sketch segment right now. We were very fortunate to receive a guest piece of writing from Nick Markovich, who you've heard on the show previously as a member of the Fix the Mets panel uh, back at the beginning of 2013. He wrote a sketch for us entitled Hot Stove Theater, we present it to you right now. Yes, yes, yes. Good evening and welcome to uh, Hot Stove Theater. Dramatic recreations of baseball's off-season signings performed by some of Britain's most decorated and haughty stage actors. Joining me tonight is Sir Gerald Oxley, currently starring in Oh Dear, I've Misplaced My Ascot at St. Martin's Theatre in East London. Delightful to be here, Scrimshire, old boy. And to my right, three-time Olivier Award winner for his performance as the dashing Earl of Ravenswood in the Globe's production of For Love or Honor, A Gentleman's Dilemma, please welcome Richard Middleton Smithwick. <clears throat> yes, yes indeed. Without further ado... We begin inside the chambers of the governor of the most powerful kingdom in the land. Lord Cashman, Lord Cashman, I prithee thou sit for a moment, as I bear ill news from the knight's holding. Fie! Dost thou mean to trouble me with more grave words? Be it not enough that our armies, once without equal, are too old and beaten to withstand defeat? Or that my most decorated knight, Sir Derek? can hardly shield to his left any longer? Or that my knight of greatest compensation, he who shall not be named, is vilified throughout the kingdom for his dalliance in the black arts? Again, I say, what further misfortune could the gods possibly bring forth upon this wretched soul? It's... it's Sir Robinson, my lord. They say that he seeks great fortune elsewhere upon the end of his servitude. Great fortune, you say? Ha! Oh, sir, sir, methinks you aim to have a bit of fun with me. I beseech you, show me he who has left our kingdom in search of great fortune. Who doth know spoils above us? Who but we Yankees might stack gold as high as the heavens themselves? If gold be his master... I trust his armor will be pinstriped during the next campaign. But, my lord, they, they say he demands three hundred million pounds. And scene. And now we transition to a situation more global in severity. The Omni Hotel in Orlando, in which an industrious young merchant of the East aims to peddle his wares to an austere group 
of noblemen. My lords, God's grace to each of you and my deepest appreciation for you meeting with me today. As you can see by my emerald-encrusted merchant wear and ivory-hewn sounding horn, I am but a humble squire. I travel these lands in service to my knight, singing his praises and assisting him in all manner of preparation, so that his focus doth lie solely upon combat. I come before you today as a representative of said knight, a man, dare I say, without equal, amongst those of his country. Were I to speak of an unblemished twenty-four consecutive victories in the joust, would thou brandest me a knave? If I lay claim that the service of my knight would not require the forfeiture of your selection place in the young nobleman's spring trials, might you decree that I speak the devil's tongue? And if I were to testify before God and man that my knight be not a day older than a quarter moon, would you have me burned for heresy? For all these things I do say, my lords, such is the truth about Samurai Tanaka. Lord Charrington of Boston upon Charles, what sayest thou? Ah, silver-tongued is your kind indeed. But bitten we have been by serpentine promises past. Each winter your ilk comes before us, bellowing tales of invincibility and endurance and projectile weapons that spin in ways unbeknownst to our kind. Yet the steel of your knights often turns soft or brittle. And he may be fierce in combat, true, but our battles are much more stout of hardship, more vigorous of spirit. Your combatants be lithe and cunning, aye, but here we have warriors forged in iron. Hast thou seen Sir Trout? Quick as a field mouse, yet hardy as a smith. Sir Stanton once removed a thief's head with a swift flick of his sword, and the peasants say that his head still makes travels with the bodies in the sky. Tis fair, my lord. But forget not Sir Darvish? Have he not served with great distinction? Is he not a living testament to the stature of those who train across the great sea? And forgive me, my lords, but who else might replace those lost in the recent campaigns? Sir Jimenez, as likely to find his sword end in a tree stump as his opponent's heart. Lord Garza, a serviceable knight, indeed, but lacking the skill to carry a battalion. Lord Hughes, whose tales of woe and want have even reached our distant shores, and his name now used when a brigade finds themselves in an advantageous position only to suffer an incomprehensible defeat. Bidding begins at one hundred million pounds. Oh, that sounds good. I mean, Greetings, noble merchant. My name is Lord Alderston. My armies reside in the richest and most powerful lands here in the kingdom. Ah. So, verily, you must have great sums of fortune to offer Sir Tanaka. Uh, yes. Well, actually, my curiosity lies elsewhere. Do you perhaps have any other warriors whose services you can offer? Perhaps not of the stature of Sir Tanaka, but perhaps a knight seeking more reasonable manners of compensation, such as fruit or words of praise. No. Perhaps... Uh, a knight who has lost a limb, or suffers from the rot. And uh, no. Very well then. Good day to you all.
Ah, yes. There you have it. Two tales of fortune's fickle fate from the inner workings of Major League Baseball. Next week, we bring you the double life of Stephen Drew, World Series winning shortstop by day, courtesan to the stars by night. I'm Jay Willington Scrimshaw. Until next week, keep the ball down and your stockings up. Good night. Markovich, uh, both writing and doing a fantastic voice acting job in the hot stove theater. <laughs> that was also Alan Smith doing the funniest Sandy Alderson impression <laughs> that you will ever hear with your own two ears. Ladies and gentlemen, that's going to wrap up episode 78 of Baltimoreans. We thank you very much for tuning in and remind you that you may contact us by going to bemorons.com and clicking on contact us <laughs> it isn't actually as complicated as it sounds uh <laughs> <laughs> or you could just you know tweet at us at be morons or drop us an email or any of the other series of direct things sort of ways that you could contact us if you don't want to go through all those important like links and clicks indeed while you're deciding what you're going to send to us i'd like to tell you about some music that you heard on the program mm. this evening at the beginning of the show you heard a brief clip from a television show called Saturday Night Live. Ever heard of it? Uh, <laughs> you also heard our theme song. Uh, well, a little snippet of our theme song as recorded by, written and recorded by Marshall York. Between segments, you heard selections from the band Town Hall. The song is called Working for Another Song, as well as the group Weather Report with their song Birdland, which Alan hates the title of. <laughs> I do. <laughs> Uh, you also heard a little whisper of fish with their song Sample in a Jar. And behind us, right now, you're hearing the Black Crows with Kicking My Heart Around. <laughs> Special thanks to guest writer and audio impresario Nick Markovich, and thanks to Ben Mastin for his usual uh, patented brilliance. And thanks to all of you for tuning in. We'll be back next week. Sam, what is the sound? of the waking up in the morning to realize that the Orioles probably aren't going to sign another designated hitter this offseason and are really planning to go into 2014 with a platoon of Henry Arruti and Delman Young in that role. Is it Henry cockadoodle doo Rudia? It is. Oh, God. Baltimoreans is a member of the Baltimore Sports Report Network. Find, find more podcasts like this at baltimoresportsreport.com.